Blog Talk Radio. About historic baseball with uh, Betsy Irvin, but uh, hello. As I hello Betsy, I'm running a little late calling you, but uh, are we okay and ready to go on your end? We sure are. Okay, great. Uh, and uh, again, everybody out there listening, I apologize for making you listen to the dial tone, but when we're running late, that happens. So before we get started here, just I want to quickly. Uh, do just a little bit of housework. And I just want to make sure that everybody knows that we are opening up a chat room. So if anybody wants to participate that way, you can do that. And you can also, if you want to listen when you call in, uh, to just listen through the phone instead of through the computer, you can call either 741-242-5253 or toll-free 1-877-633-9389. That's one eight seven seven. Six three three nine three eight nine, and you can also use those same numbers if you have a question or a comment you make uh, want to make. So be sure to keep those on the line to call too. We have our next travel time is uh, already set up, and we're going to be talking uh, with a gentleman who uh, went to Guatemala on a service trip, and that one's going to be on September third. So. Be sure to look ahead for that. And I think for now, that's the end of housekeeping. And we're going to go ahead and bring our guest, Betsy, back on the line. So, Betsy, why don't you start out just telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, um, I for the last 10 years, I've been working at the Wade House Historic Site um, as a lead interpreter. I do a lot of the programming on site. I've instituted a history day camp on site along with a lot of other um, programs as well. Um, I've got a real passion for history and I'm just really lucky that it I can do that at work. Okay, so how did you get involved with historic baseball in the first place? Well, I had a friend who was doing an internship at Old World, Wisconsin, and his job was to research and develop a historic uh, baseball program down there, and he was having such a great time with it. He said, oh, Betsy, you just have to do this at Wade House. And I was absolutely convinced that Greenbush was just too small of a town to have ever had um, a baseball team. 
And when I was doing research, looking up information about something completely different, I happened to come across an article that did state that in 1871 there was a team in um, Greenbush that was called the Dead Cities. So we decided it would be great to resurrect the team, and that was in 2006. Uh oh. Uh oh. Hello? Uh oh. Oh dear. Hello? Hello? Okay, I'm I'm back. I'm sorry. We had a okay. Adobe crash on my computer, but I'm back now. Okay, great. <laughs> so I hope you didn't panic too much. <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, we'd gotten into how far you were doing your uh, – it got into your team there at the Wade House. And did, what te- what is the name of the team you manage? Uh, it's called the Dead Cities of Greenbush. And who do you play against? Is there a league? Are there other teams? How well, does that work? I wouldn't. It's not really a league, or it is in an informal uh, sense. It's not a real organized league. But we do play other uh, vintage baseball teams in Wisconsin. We've actually played some um, from other states as well. But our main um, opponents are. Excuse me, the Eagle Diamonds from Old World, Wisconsin, with, which is um, another state historic site. We also play the Cream Cities, which is a uh, vintage team that was formed in Milwaukee. There's also another vintage team in uh, Milwaukee called the uh, Milwaukee Grays that we have played. Um, then there's a couple other teams um, also from Milwaukee. The, there's the Deltons. Uh, that we have played, and um, let me see, I'm trying to think. There are some other teams from, uh, like there's the Long Nine from Springfield, Illinois, is another team that we've played as well. So are all of the um, the teams that you played, do they all have some association with a living history site, or are there some just some independent site teams out there? There there are some independent ones. The actually the Eagle Diamonds are the only team that we're playing right now that is associated with a historic site. The all the rest um have been independent teams. So if you don't really have a league, is there any kind of real schedule or is there do you head Well, we we kind of at the end of the year November, December, we start looking at the calendar for the next year, and we kind of all email. We're always emailing each other to kind of set up um, games. Now, some of them we've been our we do have a regular schedule at Wade House in that we like to play the third Sunday of the month, and so we've kind of gotten into a rotation of you know the in August we play the. Eagle Diamonds, and you know the first game and the last game of the season, we generally play the Cream City. So we've got a little bit of a rotation there. So 
does everybody who plays historic baseball play in the same period? Because I know, you know, with the living history sites, people do different time periods, and I know the game changed over the years. So is there a certain year that people go for for historic baseball, or are there teams that play different decades? There are teams that play di- different decades. Uh, by far, though, I would say the 18, 1860 rule seems to be the most popular. Uh, if it's it's um, a, those rules, there are a lot of reenactors that are involved with Civil War reenacting as well, so they it kind of does double duty. Um, 1858 town ball rules or and also baseball rules is another really uh, popular time period. Um, there are some teams that play later, but of course we're playing by 1860 rules, so we don't play those teams as much. Um, but sometimes if there is a team that will play later rules or even earlier rules, if, if they're playing 58, they also know the 60 rules. So before the game, we'll actually kind of settle on which version of the rules we're going by. That could be kind of fun, though, if one team followed one decade's rules and one team followed another decade's rules. Uh, it could. <laughs> it could. It could. Play. Oh, it certainly could. Um, but sometimes it's just it's just hard enough to remember the decade that you are playing. So <laughs> that's true. So um, were women allowed to play on regular teams in the 19th century in baseball? Um, no, they were not. Um, in 1866, there there is a. Um, I've seen a photograph of a women's baseball club at Vassar College. And so this was a club that was formed at the college, uh, young ladies. Um, it's a really interesting picture because they're all wearing certainly the fashions of the day, but they have on baseball belts and baseball hats. So they were very much interested in playing, but they were playing just amongst themselves and it went on for a couple of years, but then the college disbanded the club because they got letters from home complaining that their daughters were engaging in unladylike um, activities. So then, um, you in a, I mean, as far as formal play, there's not. This is going on kind of um, around the edges. But then when we get into the 1890s, there there is what they call a bloomer league of women that are playing baseball at this time. A lot of times, though, they are the team will have a, a male pitcher and a male catcher, and then the rest of the players will be females. And then they will travel around taking on um, all-male teams, uh, sort of as a novelty. And um, that kind of concept came back again during World War II when all the uh, men were drafted to go to the war and they started having the girls' baseball teams at a professional level. Was there reference back to the earlier teams or did they treat it like it was just a brand new thing? You know, I I don't know as much about the um, Women's Baseball League of the 40s, but I think as I understand it, that was more – because so many of the players were being drafted and going to the war that they turned to the women's leagues, you know, the women's to fill out uh, some of those teams. And it really, um, you know, it seems to be a Midwest phenomenon, um, um, you know, rock with the Rockford P 
peaches and the receding comets and that type of thing. Do you know of anybody doing a 1940s women's team? Just because it seems to be something that comes up periodically is, you know, kind yeah, of a big Yeah, actually, like um, everybody remembers it. Right. Um, actually, I do know of uh, there. They like the rack of the. I'm sorry, the Rockford Peaches, the Racine uh, Comet. Um, no, I'm sorry. It's Kenosha Comets, not Racine Comet. Uh, Racine Bells. There, there are some down in the Chicagoland area that have been uh, trying to bring those teams back, and and I have seen photographs of some of their games. Okay. Well, what if you were somebody who wanted to just come out and watch a historic baseball game? How do they, can they find one that's close to them? Oh, sure. There is an um, organization called the Vintage Baseball Association, and they have a website. And you can go on to their website, and they can let you know of teams in the area. And a lot of times, sometimes they'll have the, uh, they might have a link to the websites, and those, then their games might be on those websites. So that's one way of finding them. Uh, for us, particularly, we do have, um, if you go to our website for Wade House Historic Site, our schedule is on there as well. Um, I, that's probably the, the best way to find <laughs> to find teams that, um, and you know, in an area and with games. So, um, where does your team play? Do you play on like a modern field, or is there one that's a little bit different that you play on? Sure, we actually play out at uh, Wade House Historic Site, and we just play on a big open field. Um, 1860. It's the the game is evolving, but it nothing is really formalized. It's played in big open field. The um, base uh, space between the bases is 90 feet, which is the same as what it is today. Um, but it doesn't really, um, you know, no no really no stands, no not even benches for for the teams to sit on or anything like that. So pretty pretty informal. Uh, but we have, a, there was a, a article in a local newspaper when I was doing some research. Um, again, in 1871 when they played their first game, they talk about how it was it was kind of rainy, so the crowd wasn't real big. There were only 500 that showed up for the game that day. Yeah. So... Uh, if somebody comes out now, are there usually like bleachers for them to sit in, or should they we be do. chairs or blankets? Well, we do have some bleachers, um, not a lot, but we do have some bleachers that are out there. But people are more than welcome to bring chairs if they like, or blankets. You bet. Uh, how formal is, are the fields that you're playing in? So are there going to be places where there's, like, bathrooms available? And if somebody wanted to buy a hot dog or some popcorn while they're watching, there will be a place to do it? Or is it more like um, bring your own stuff? Well, again, depending on where we play, at Wade House, we do have some bathrooms that are available to the public. And um, except for the May game, we do have concessions. We have uh, f um, 
volunteers that come out and cook up hot dogs and have sodas and those types of things available. Um, as sometimes when we go and play some away games, we really are just playing on an open field. So uh, if the if we have fans that want to come, uh, they'll bring their own chairs and they might bring sodas and things um, or, or even a picnic lunch. So as you're going around and playing against other teams, do you find that they're equally worried about being accurate or are there some teams that try and be super accurate, super in the 1860s, and others are more like, oh, let it, let it be, let them live? Just uh, yes, of uh, right. That's, that, yes, we find that very much. Um, I... I sometimes can drive the my players a bit crazy in that I really want us to get it as close as we can possibly get to um you know making to what it might have been like in 1860 uh but other teams they're really they'll they're more doing it for the spirit of the game I would say possibly or um you know and in some cases and this is going to sound terrible um some some teams it's more like they're it, it really is just softball wearing funny clothes. And, and I don't mean that as a dig because everybody has their own reasons for playing. But uh, because we're playing at a historic site and because of my interest in history, I just want us to really follow um, as close as we possibly can get it to 1860. Which So in other words, some of the things that we don't do is we don't wear um, – we don't wear cleats. We don't wear spikes or anything like that because um, most of the players didn't have them. There were some instances of players in uh, in the period in 1860 where they might take their athletic shoes and have black, the blacksmith put small metal spikes on the bottom. But, um, you know, other than that, uh, but, again, that's not the majority of the players. So we try to play in just um, – It'd really be great if we had leather sole shoes, but we sometimes have to cheat with with um, the rubber soles. So, um, and this wasn't on the list of things that I sent you that I was going to ask you. So, if you don't know, feel free to say no that you don't. Okay. But, um, if somebody wanted to read or like learn what the rules were in 1860 and wanted to, you know, find out really what was going on, is there a stand to go to source that you send would send them to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one, what we use for all of our games is Beatles Dime Baseball Book. Um, it was, Beatles uh, published all kinds of different books uh, for a dime back in, back in the period of 1860. Um, and one of the books that they published was the baseball rules that were, were, um, published by the baseball organization, you know, organizing um, ah, organizing board. Um, and so those are what we play by. Uh, it's hard to find a reproduction of that book, but, again, if you go to the Vintage Baseball Association website, they have all of those rules published right up on their website. Plus, all of the rules from, gosh, like I said, probably 1850 all the way up until probably even 1930 by year, so that you can see how the game has changed over the over time. Well, that's pretty cool. So, if somebody gets 
into this, and they really decide they want to participate and play themselves, how could they find a team? Um, again, I would point them to the Vintage Baseball Association. A lot of the uh, uh, vintage teams belong to that site, so that they'll have they'll have it listed. You can go to the state that you live in, and then the, they will have teams that they know of um, that are listed on there. If we, um, as a member of the team, they'll put our names up there so that people can get a uh, hold of us. And there's usually a contact person or at least a website, and then through that you can get a hold of that team, um, hopefully, <laughs> and, and make some sort of a contact. I know some teams will have open um, auditions in the spring, um, but, you know, they're, we're at, they're always up for, um, you know, someone contacting. And, and then, of course, there's the, always the possibility that if there's not a team in your area and you're really gung-ho, you could start one yourself. So would you say that there have been a lot of teams formed in the last few years? Is this sort of a growing sport, or is it just sort of going along about at the same level of participation? You know, well, that's a good question. Um, I would say it's growing. Um, I don't know. Um, we don't travel as much as some teams do, so I don't necessarily see teams from all the other states, but it, it baseball vintage baseball has been around for a long time, and boy, some of some states in Illinois um, and Ohio they just have just all kinds of teams. Well, even Minnesota, it seems like they're adding teams all the time. So yeah, I would say that it is it's definitely growing. Well, I think that that's sort of the impression I have. I mean, you're a lot more into it than, than I am, but we started hearing about it a lot more, I would say, in the last couple of years. And I think it, it sounds like a really cool thing to do. Um, I, oh, I would definitely agree. It has been um, – I have certainly enjoyed it. Um, I, I've i been involved with um, living history, doing uh, – my dad was a Civil War reenactor when I was a kid, and then, you know, I've been working at this um, – at Wade House for, for a couple of years, and my husband has always been very supportive, but it was just not his thing, and he always said, now, you know – I'm I'm I'll always support you but don't ever expect me to dress up in funny clothes. And I said that's fine. But when I said I was going to form um a baseball team, he said he would he'd love to play. And so he's been a my co uh, one of my captains ever since. And all three of my boys have played on the team at some point and so it's for us it's really become um a family affair and we have just um, besides the history, besides take, getting it out there and sharing it with people, it's just been a lot of fun. I I really think it kind of represents the spirit of the game, too, because so many times people talk about baseball and the professional baseball today and how it's really lost um, a lot of the things that really made people love baseball, that really made it the national pastime. And I think this is sort of getting back to some of that roots. I, I think it's good for the game that this is going on. I agree. I agree. Um, when in 1860, they called it a gentleman's game. Um, it was all amateur. If anyone was caught playing, uh, you know, p paying players, it was, you know, that was you were thrown out of the sport. It was just a real disgrace. 
um, and you were expected to behave on the field. You know, there was no spitting, no cursing. Um, you were supposed to settle disputes yourself without yelling and screaming. If you did that, you could be fined or thrown out of the game. So I'm with you 100%. It really was these guys, they were playing for the love of the game, and, um, you know, all of that other ugly stuff was, was just not was not there at the beginning. So what would you say that players get most out of participating in this? So, like, if they had a choice between uh, being in a local, just regular baseball league and doing historic baseball, what do they get more out of doing the historic baseball? Well, I think if you've got an interest for uh, for history or something that's a little bit different, and interacting with the public, um, I think that's what we that's what we can offer. Um, it does give you a real, you know, every time you play a game, no matter, uh, you know, how many times you play it, it's we're sharing something new, or we're sharing with new crowds or new people, and. Um, it's it's something that can pull people. It gives them a connection to history as well. They may really love baseball but never thought about, um, you know, the history of it or how it has changed over the time. And then that may get them to think about other things that were going on at the time as well. Um, and I just think um, it it's just a really nice gateway into the past that way. Okay, well, we are getting close to the end of the half hour. I always tell people it goes really quick. and um, <laughs> But I thought maybe you just want to say something briefly about uh, Wade House and uh, so just let people know a little bit about your site. Oh, sure. Um, that would be great. Uh, Wade House is a... 1850 Stagecoach Inn that was built in Greenbush, Wisconsin. Um, we've been uh, let's see. In it's it was run by the Wade family, and members of the Wade house or the Wade family lived in the house until 1941. And in 18 Sorry, in 1953 it became a state historic site. So we have the um, the Wade House Inn has been there all this time, and we have it now open for tours. We do uh, programming there. One of the one of the fun things we do is off season. We do hearthside dinners where um, we have guests that will come in, and we have a menu, and they all will pick a different recipe that they will prepare in our kitchens, um, and then we'll all sit down and eat them. Uh, you know, family style. We also do a Civil War reenactment at the end of September every year. We do history day camps during the summer, um, plus just a lot of other fun um, historic programming. We have a um, newly sawmill on the site as well. It's a saw that runs up and down instead of a circular saw. It is a reconstruction, but it's built on the um, actual foundation of the first sawmill, which was built by the Wade family again in the 1850s. Uh, we also have a working blacksmith shop, and we also have a carriage museum that contains um, over 100 different horse-drawn vehicles from about the 1850s up to 1910. And if they want to find out more about the Wade House, uh, 
you want to go ahead and give the website or should sure. they just search for Wade House? No, well, they can do that, but we also have a web, uh, website at wadehouse.org. Okay. Well, thank you always so much, ever so much for coming on, Betsy. I think we learned a lot about historic baseball, and hopefully this will get you some new recruits at least to come out and see the game because I just really think it is an amazing thing that you guys are doing. Oh, well, thank you very much. We really enjoy it, and we would love to have um, anyone come and and see a game and um, maybe also see the rest of our site. That would be wonderful. Well, thanks. Oh, and I I just want to mention, because this is my favorite thing, Betsy, in my opinion, should have won the Lincoln Costume Contest at Mumsy this spring because she dressed. She dressed up as Lincoln's mother who died of milk sickness and carried a glass of milk around all night. I think she should have won just for that. Oh, thanks. That was a lot of fun. (laughs) It was. It was great. I better stop that because I'm going to start coughing here in a minute. Thank you for coming on the show, Betsy. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, And everybody else, I hope that you'll come back real soon for another episode of Travel Times and the other episodes here at Trendlebed Tales. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 